to another episode of 10 Minutes with Mel and Sam in New York City. This week we're talking about the theatre we've been to see in New York City and more specifically about Greek tragedy, racism and the dreaded Donald Trump. And don't forget our beautiful tequila mockingbirds over at the Library Hotel. Once you've gone to the theatre, it's always great to have a place to stay. I've interviewed the wonderful, wonderful Rob from the Library Hotel and he gives us all the lowdown on the Dewey Decimal System. Pretty, pretty beautiful hotel. Very exciting stuff. It was amazing. Yeah. If you want to find out more about Rider on the Road, it's over at www.rideronetheroad.com. And if you want to support us through our Patreon account, it's www.patreon.com slash rideonetheroad. And our first essay for our Patreon listeners is called, are you ready for it? The Man in the Window. Dun, dun, dun. Before we start, we did say that this podcast was going to be about... The Seaport Museum. But between heat waves, floods and pestilence, uh, we haven't quite made it there yet. But let's get to the good stuff. Let's start talking about Greek myths and some of the plays that we've been saying and how they're talking about our current immigra- immigration issues. Yes. So the two plays we're talking about today are Antigone and Ferguson and Mahada. Antigone and Ferguson is a reimagining of Sophocles' play Antigone, um, which is about a woman whose brother is killed in a war and her uncle refuses to bury him and makes a law against it and Antigone buries her brother anyway and then her uncle has her essentially put to death, which kind of sucks. Um, and Antigone and Ferguson is a reimagining of that in response to Michael Brown's death in 2014, which sparked the Black Lives Matter movement in the US. And so it was talking about that. Um, Mahara, similarly, is a retelling of Medea um, by Euripides, another Greek tragedy, but through the lens of an immigrant woman who's come to America and struggles with um, assimilating into the culture and recovering from the trauma she experienced on her journey over. Um, which eventually leads to her killing her son. No spoilers, because they're 2,500 years old. <laughs> yeah, uh, and everyone, I thoroughly recommend you go and see, is it Mahada? Mahada, yeah. Yeah, Sam and I both cried several times, but we yeah. weren't looking at each other. But when we left the theatre, uh, lots of other people were crying as well. Yeah. Uh, the purpose of Greek tragedy is to make uh, allow us to process our emotions. Yeah. And it made me realise that we don't speak out with everything that our friend Donald Trump's doing. We all stay silent. Uh, to the point where I was on Twitter and I made some comment about the immigration and how, what's happening on the border and I was trolled. So I took that comment down. Uh, so I guess the people with the most vo- vocal voices are winning and I, I don't think that's right. I think we should no. all be speaking our piece and say what's happening here is wrong. Uh, and it's in the papers in the New York Times every day. So hopefully by even speaking about this play and some of you get to see it, then it might make a little bit of difference. Yeah. And it's interesting um, the way that theatre can interact with these political issues because I know when we saw Mahada, we were talking about the play finished on this really poignant kind of haunting note as the as it ex- explored how the main character of the play didn't have closure at the end and she was kind of lost in the the troubling political issues. And the lights went down and immediately everyone kind of stood up and started clapping and we were there like, oh, we need a moment to process this. And it was a bit of, it's a bit of an interesting thing to think about in relation to theatre and tragedy and how it interacts with political issues. Because as you just said, Mel, um, the purpose of tragedy is originally to purge the emotions of pity and fear in the audience, which is called catharsis in um, Greek tragedy. And that's... A little bit uncomfortable for me politically almost because I think that 
it can lead to the audience saying, oh, I've seen this play, I've gone through this journey and I've purged my emotions, so therefore I've already done something and I don't need to do anything else. Um, and so it was really interesting to see both these plays which grapple with such deep political issues and think about how you can respond to them after seeing them. And I know with Antigone and Ferguson, the play went for about an hour and then afterwards the the cast and the creative team uh, had like a Q&A, with, it wasn't really a Q&A, but we had a discussion with the audience about the issues and invited everyone to give their opinion on what they'd seen and we had like a big hour-long roundtable discussion of it, which is like which helped the audience process, I guess, what they'd seen in a more direct way than Mahata, where because of the nature of the way that theatre operates, everyone just kind of clapped and walked out without kind of, you have to kind of work out your own way to individually process that. Yeah. Well, I think what, what shocked me the most is it was a story of a husband and a wife, the, the modern interpretation, and a young son coming over the Mexi- Mexican border to America and how the story started with so much hope and there was love and uh, I guess family ties and there was the old grandma and that was really funny and we were laughing (laughs) we were laughing and then we realized um, they wanted us to laugh because that made us feel doubly bad when the tragedy unfolded yeah and what struck me the most is how single women anywhere have no hope because without money, without a place to live, and with no one to help you, there is nowhere to go. And quite often the, I guess, without, I'm not going to give away the play on it, but without oh. any resources, women are snookered, throw the whole border thing and illegal immigrant thing into that mix. And the outcome's inevitable, isn't it? Because yeah. there is no other outcome. And that's the thing about tragedy, it really does have that sense of inevitability or kind of rocketing down towards an end that everyone knows is coming. And yeah, it is interesting politically because the, you, you then have to think about why do I think this is inevitable and what can I do to make it not inevitable in the real world? So the way that it interacts with the real world is something that I think about a lot in my own writing. Yeah, on a lighter note, because that gets really <laughs> sad and we're not allowed to give anything away. So, uh, this play is on at the, the Public Theatre. Well, it was called The Pub. So, of course, when I went first... She thought it it, was a pub. Yeah, it's (laughs) called Joe's Pub. So, And it's down in Astor Square, down the bottom of Manhattan. And I went in there because there was going to be, on um, Bastille Day, a woman was singing all the Edith Piaf songs, and I thought I'd love to go along to that. And thinking it was a pub and a bar, when I walked into there, it was a very expensive theatre and I couldn't afford... A very famous expensive theatre, yeah. yeah. And I couldn't afford the tickets to Edith Piaf, um, but I could afford the the tickets to Medea because... Mahara. Mahara, because we got them last minute and they're only $20 or something like that, which was really, really cool. Would recommend use to date... We used Today Ticks, the app, to get cheap brush tickets, which was really good. Yeah, and we're yeah. using that with a lot of our theatre that we're, we're going around seeing. And the other interesting thing about uh, the pub theatre is that it had, was the original or housed the original uh, library, the Astor Library, which yeah. eventually was donated to the New York Public Library, which is where we ended up the next day. And I thought I would much rather be back at Joe's Pub yeah. in an in a intimate setting for my library than in that monstrous thing called the New York Public Library where there were people crawling all over the place that really did my head in. With the with the theatre that we're seeing at the moment, uh, we did read an article in the in the New York Times about um, why a lot of or why some modern uh, directors are using the Greek tragedies to yeah. to express what's going on in the world at the moment. Mm. I think there are a couple of quotes in this article from the New York Times that really stood out to me. One of them was that it's something that 
I think, like, the public theatre also premiered Hamilton, and that's something I think is really strong in Hamilton as well, a similar idea. But this, the article writes about how the playwright Mr Alfaro um, uses Greek tragedy to treat Latino figures on the margins with mythic dignity and to put them in the centre of these primal, um, ancient stories that everyone knows. And that's something that Hamilton does as well, and that it takes American history that, like, everyone, like, the foundation of modern America, etc., um, and puts people of colour in the centre of that story um, as actors and creators, etc. And I think that's a really fascinating theatrical thing because we do tend to think of white straight men as the default characters within these stories. And so retelling those same ancient stories that are seen as universal and really important to our collective cultural history and putting marginalised groups in the centre of them is a really powerful political statement, I think. And yeah, so one of the quotes from Mr. Um, from Louis Alfaro, who is the playwright, he says, how do I bring my community into the modern theatre? How are we part of the classics too? And so I thought that was a really, like a really touching, it's a touching political movement, I think, um, for a lot of different groups. And it's a really interesting yeah. technique. And, wh- and why we're here is Sam's writing her own play. And it's really interesting because she's struggling to get meaning into her own play and, and working with it. And then we go and see these things, which I think is a really, really good idea. I think the sense of coming closer to the original stories and putting marginalised groups in the centre of these original stories also came through really strongly in the staging of both of the plays, which is something I'm passionate about. So I just want to take a moment to talk about that as well. I think that one thing that really struck me about both plays was that they came very close to the experience of sitting in an original Greek theatre. So with Antigone and Ferguson, it was in this ancient church and we were up in the balcony and we couldn't see, but we could hear a bunch of, like there was a gospel choir singing and we could hear everything. And like there were these big actors and big performances filling the space. And we were like up behind everyone, like way away from the action. And I think that's really, that's exactly how it would have been to experience an original Greek tragedy where you're sitting there in an amphitheater and everyone's performing down, like doing these big gestures. And you're like just part of this crowd in this kind of sacred space. And I thought it was a similar kind of thing with Mahada in that the dress she was wearing evoked both the Latin American culture she comes from and also it reminded me of something that like people might, the costuming that might have been in a traditional Greek play, for example, and it was staged outside a house and like the traditional kind of setting of a Greek play outside a house and all the action takes place in the courtyard. And she was using the stage, one of the plot points in the play was that she, she couldn't leave the house, she couldn't feel she was, she didn't feel she was able to leave the house and enter um, America as a whole. She was trapped there. And she was using like the stage, the stage was her courtyard and everyone else was jumping on and off the courtyard to go into the wings. And she was there trapped in that courtyard, unable to break that fourth wall and leave. And I think the way that that staging took place really brought the audience into the experience of these giant mythic stories. And we really felt those those ancient traditions, especially in Antigone and Ferguson, both the ancient tradition of the Greeks and the ancient tradition of gospel choir coming from African countries as well. And that was really interesting. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about it. I was just sitting there watching. Now, we'll put the link to that article on Greek tra- tragedies and modern yeah. theatre in, into our show notes. But be warned, everybody, you can only look at, I think it's about five <laughs> articles from the New York Times. Uh, use them carefully. Yeah. A month before you get closed down and they want you to subscribe. So I've, 
I've used my link, so I can't. I've used my five articles. I use yeah. my five articles every Actually, month. You could probably clear your cookies or your search history, and you can get more. Oh, so technical. <laughs> I've been trying to buy physical copies of the New York Times every day, so that I can actually touch it and feel it. And we've been trying to get hold of the New York Review of Books, and we're clearly going to the wrong places. There are I can no news agencies them. here. Yeah, yeah, we can't find anything. And we're hoping to have. Uh, interview with the artistic director of the public theatre Sam reckons I won't do I it, think but, this is ambitious <laughs> but I've, I've sent an I sent an email to him asking would he come yeah. on and have a 10 minute he chat with us he directed the original Angels in America mama yeah he's he directed very... Angels in America hey we can do this we can do this so that's <laughs> that's our that's our statement country. guys we haven't punched anyone with wearing red t-shirts in making America great again I even went, though we were close yeah I went very close in the rain yesterday because I needed to kick someone and this woman was there and I thought oh it's not a very good look as we said after taking in some theatre you might like to stop by the library hotel for some beautiful dewey decimal themed rooms listen now for mel's interview with rob rawlins who is the general manager of the library hotel at 299 madison avenue new york Talking with Rob Rawlins and Justin Shamami, and we're on Library Way at the Library Hotel, the most beautiful, beautiful building other than the New York Public Library. Uh, tell us about this beautiful space that we're in at the moment. We're in the Poetry Garden. It's on our rooftop bar, the 14th floor of Library Hotel. And uh, it's a great space for our guests to unwind during the day. We also are lucky to host weddings and events as well. We had just had a wedding a couple weeks ago that was very lovely. We uh, have a bar that opens at 4 p.m. every day, so you don't have to just be a guest. You can come here and have a drink, cocktail. Some are literary inspired. We have a tequila mockingbird cocktail that's a tequila-based cocktail <laughs> that's really lovely. And you can enjoy the views, the city views. You can see the library down the street. And it's a great place to hang out. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm really excited, everybody. I'm here for the Romance Writers of America conference and New York City is crawling with writers at the moment. Now, there are some really special things about this uh, hotel, aren't there? Oh, so many special things. Well, aside attracting a lot of lovers of literature, book lovers, teachers, uh, writers themselves, we have um, a great amount of books, over 6,000 books here at the hotel spread from our reading room, which is our guest lounge, to the, the rooms themselves, which are organized by the Dewey Decimal System. And so each book is a specific theme, like architecture or philosophy, psychology, which I took you to today, and the books in those rooms are specific to the theme. So each, each room has about 60 to 100 books on those themes. Yeah. Now I have had the privilege of having a look at some of these rooms and they are absolutely beautiful. Right from the pillow that I've been told is in every room that says... Book lovers never go to bed alone. Yeah, now what more can a girl ask for? But all the rooms are similar. They all have the understated elegance and, and style. And the difference in pricing and the difference in, I guess, luxury is really the size of the room until we got to the final room and it had the beautiful views of the library itself. Yes, so we have our smallest room, we call it a petite room, just to am amplify the, the size, right, so you know what you're getting. And then our largest room is the junior suite, 
which is what you saw had the lovely view of the public library and also Madison Avenue. You can see all the way up Madison Avenue. We're really lucky to have that view. Uh, so for the true experience, you get the junior suite, which can see the library and up Madison Avenue. Yeah. Now the concept of the library hotel, it was interesting how it came about, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, the owner purchased the building. It was an old office building that had been vacant for a few years. And uh, when he went to the designer, Stephen B. Jacobs and, the, and Andy Pepper, who was the interior designer, he said, uh, what can we do? We're right down from the library and they, their son was a, a theater designer and thought, well, why not we use the library? And the Dewey Decimal number is how a library has organized their books. We can name the rooms, the Dewey Decimal numbers and find the match corresponding theme. And uh, it was born. It's understated in that the rooms uh, all have the same look, right? But the books, some of the artwork, reflects the theme of each uh, Dewey Decimal number. Yeah, and there is the most amazing photography. Yes, so uh, the art in the room taken from Andy Pepper and placed all around the hotel based on the, the Dewey Decimal numbers. Yeah, and hopefully I'll have some photographs of that to show you. What I was going to say, everybody, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, uh, books sometimes tend to wander from the hotel. But the most interesting part is, and this is how we know that true book lovers stay here upon occasion, they return the books to you. They do, yeah. We get books in the mail, uh, which is really nice. And it's... You know, it's, that's the spirit about it, right? We want you to finish the book. Yeah. So we're, we're I going. don't even know what floor I would stay on, guys. I am absolutely confused. Now, I believe you were, um, suggested I would work very well in the math section. <laughs> well, I was just saying you'd be surprised it's not as dry as just some math textbooks. There's some great books in there about math, about famous mathematicians. The same goes for any room. You know, we have advertising. We have... Uh, architecture, philosophy of love, which is a great book for newlyweds. We have a lot of guests requesting that room, which has a, a great balcony uh, that I mentioned to you in our tour. Um, so there's no bad subject. Yeah, and I couldn't get into the lovers room, everybody, because it's all been taken. But I'm sitting here now in the poetry <laughs> garden, but I'm actually looking at a bird now, I haven't seen much nature here since I've been in New York. There is a I, bird out there. I yeah. couldn't even find a pigeon at the water fountain. And here I'm looking at this amazing brown and orange bird that's matching the plant life, I guess. the, the I was going to say autumn leaves, but we're on the other side They're, of the world. It must uh, be the spring Japanese leaves. Japanese maple tree, actually, is what that is. Yeah. 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 And a Japanese maple bird. <laughs> Look, the ambiance of this uh, building is speaks for itself. Everybody, I believe, Eleanor Roosevelt, was it? Um, yes, yeah, once, once here wrote at here. one time, yeah. Yeah, so, so we're mixing with famous people. Just before we go, if you can tell me all those famous writers that have come before me. <laughs> I don't think I could do that off the top of my head. Uh, well, we've had um, Neil Armstrong has stayed with us, the famous astronaut. I bring that up because the 50th anniversary of the moon landing just happened, and uh, he was a guest here. He didn't just stay in the astronomy room. That is one of our rooms of books all about astronomy and space. Uh, he was a guest. We've also, I'm going to mention uh, Ruth uh, Westheimer, the famous sex psychologist. She picked all of our books for the Love Room, which is on the philosophy floor. Again, the room with the balcony. Um, so she, she's a great asset to this hotel and, and picking those books for us, which are great inspiration for the newlyweds. 
And Vera Wang, also uh, the fashion um, designer, picked our books for the fashion room. And there are three other hotels in New York, and we've got hotels in Canada, and this most amazing hotel that I'm going to next in Budapest. For a boutique chain, there is something for everyone, isn't there? Yeah, the, the Budapest Hotel, one of our newer hotels, is absolutely beautiful, Aria Hotel. So while our New York properties have literary element, this is music themed. So the rooms uh, are based on music and it's really exciting and beautiful and they have a beautiful outdoor garden as well. Uh, and it's a must see for sure. Yeah, and it's not just, just me everyone. I'm going off to have my uh, tequila mockingbird now. But before I go, I just wanted to say that TripAdvisor thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you guys and you are the best. I think it was in 2017, Budapest was number one and at one stage all four of the New York hotels were in the top list. Yeah, we're currently all in the top ten. Library Hotel is on number three currently in New York out of over 500 hotels, so we're really proud of that. You know, we love welcoming guests and showing them New York and our love for books, and uh, we're proud that all of our properties are, are high in their in their cities. Budapest, I believe, is number one right now. Um, they got an award, many awards, and hopefully many more. Yeah, and stay tuned for the photos, everyone. Thanks to my beautiful friend Janine for recommending this amazing space. Uh, I think we'll be back for because if uh, if you're a working writer this is the place to be. You've got the intimacy, you've got the privacy, you've got the silence, which you don't get out there in the big streets of New York, I can tell you. And we can drink our way through the cocktail list. Yeah, sounds Thanks, great. guys. Thanks so much.